uh, Luke chapter 14, and we'll look at that passage together. Well, is it true, as this book says, that real men, real men don't eat quiche? Is that true? That's what Bruce Fernstein says, a guidebook to all that is truly masculine. Real men do not eat quiche. They will not let it pass their lips. No, I will not eat it, they say. Or is it true also that real men, they don't wear pink? I know it's a lovely pair of pink trousers near the front. They're fantastic. Let me encourage you. But apparently, real men don't wear pink. Is that true? Or maybe, if you put it bluntly, if you're a real man or a real human being or a real woman, then actually you don't need Jesus in your life because Jesus surely is just a crutch for the weak, for those sad people in life who just cannot manage life on their own, who are not strong enough to cope. They need something. And uh, Jesus is kind of a human construct to help people like them, shadows, maybe like some of us. Is Christianity a crutch for the weak? Maybe if you're not yet a Christian tonight, you've actually thought that, that actually for me to humble myself and say that somebody else is Lord, and he's somebody else to help me in life, actually for me seems kind of a weak thing. It feels hard to let go and trust somebody like that. And if you're a Christian tonight, which I guess many of us are, we might say, well, actually, yes, I so need Jesus. I'll be lost without the Lord Jesus in this life and the life to come. And in fact, my experience of Christian living is not that it's one of a weakness to follow Christ, but actually, it is incredibly tough. Maybe tonight we've come and we're wondering Should it feel so hard at times to live for Christ, to obey Christ, to trust him, to be distinctive? Because sometimes it just feels too costly, too difficult, too out of step with everybody else in my world. As I said this morning, often it can feel very hard at school to be the only Christian I was known as a Christian at school. And that meant you were singled out in RE lessons or history lessons or uh, you know, personal education lessons to throw an opinion out. And quite frankly, at times, it got on my nerves. Oh, Steve Reese, he's a Christian. He'll say something. And I hated standing out like that at times at secondary school. I wanted to just to be like a chameleon and just blend in like everybody else. As I said, at university, when my dad dropped me off, he said, Steve, nail your colors to the mast. Do you know, it was a real challenge. I was sharing a house with half of the rugby team. And they spent their whole time going out and getting drunk and egging each other on and uh, just faced immorality the whole time. And it felt very odd and different not to be like one of the lads, one of the boys. The most natural thing, isn't it, just to feel like we want to belong to a group of people What does God have to say to us tonight from his word, through his living word? Well, here are Jesus' sobering words, which will appear on the screen. Verse 27 of our passage. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, people talk about carrying their cross, don't they? And often they're talking about a bunion on their foot or a mother-in-law or someone in their family they struggle with. But actually, that's making light of what Jesus is saying. The Christian life, according to Jesus, is no soft call. It's no soft option. There's nothing soft about the cross of Jesus. It's not velvet padded, is it? It's painful. It's costly. It involved for our Lord Jesus Christ rejection and ridicule and It took great strength and determination and resolve to see that saving act of love through for us so that we could be saved for heaven and know God as our Father. Now, Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of me, you must carry your cross. No sign of weakness, but determination that come what may, I will trust and follow Jesus all my days For he died for my salvation. He rose again and ascended into glory. And by his strength, I will follow him. I wonder, is that what we've signed up for as Christians? Do you notice that verse, verse 25? Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. It's a big church, isn't it? Lots of people traveling along together. I wonder where you are. When it comes to faith, you trusted Christ? Are you following Christ in this crowd of people? That's who Jesus is addressing. He's speaking to them and telling them what it's going to look like to be a real follower of Jesus day by day. And it's costly. And it's costly. Many believers around the world, they know the cost is very, very real, don't they? Loss of job. Loss of life. Loss of reputation. For many, it's meant going against the painful thing of rejecting your family's faith and following Christ and turning away from them, from all their hopes and expectations. Many people around the world know only too well what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And they know what the shocking words of Jesus meant in verse 26. Have a look. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How long have these words ever baffled you? They're strange, aren't they? Strange words. Can Jesus really mean that? That we've got to hate our parents or our wife and our children. That Christianity is some sort of weird cult that requires us to break off all natural relationships. Well, no, it can't mean that. Did Jesus hate his mom? No, on the cross, he told his disciple, even while he was suffering there, he told her to look after his mom. He loved his mom. He showed great concern for his mom. And whilst it's true that as a grown man, there were times when his mom and brothers and sisters called him out, he didn't answer their beck and call. He did honor her. He certainly upheld the commandment to honor his mother and father. Now, Jesus is not teaching literal hatred here. He's commanding his followers to put him first. To put him first. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He's making strong language to make a big point. To make a stop and listen and think. This is about loving other people, other things, less than the Lord Jesus. Now I wonder if you gave a pecking order of your favorite chocolate, what would it be? I love chocolate Freddos. Just the right size, 20p, pop them in, bingo. I love Mars bars. But actually, I really, really love milk chocolate, dairy milk chocolate bars. Compared to Mars bars and Freddos, I hate them compared to that bar that I really, really love. Does it mean I don't love them? No, I love a Freddo. But I love the dairy milk more. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not calling us to hate our parents, but to love Jesus more. And to follow Jesus will mean that our love for him must take first place. And you know, that might well be costly for us. It might well be costly, as we might have to disappoint our families. And we might have to disappoint our friends. I think as I think back to our youth group growing up in our home church, there was a huge group of young people, but sadly there's not many of us still following Christ because many have been pulled away by the crowd of friends. That is the big pressure, isn't it, upon us. It might not be the problem with loving our families. It might be a problem with actually loving our friends and our reputation far too much. So Craig, he loved being part of the rugby team. But when he wouldn't drink and drink and drink like his friends, because he loved Jesus more, the invitation is to hang out with the boys who just dried up. And that felt, that felt hard. Katie loved her friends at school, but she soon realized that lots of the conversations she just could not join in with because she switched off her television when rubbish came on. And she wanted to live for Jesus. She wanted to guard her mind. She wanted to love Jesus more. And actually, at times, it made her feel the odd one out and not part of things at school. And that felt hard. And there was Susie. She longed to have a boyfriend. But all the guys who asked her out were not Christians. And her family who were not Christians could understand why she wasn't dating these lovely guys. But she wanted to put Jesus first. But it was costly. And it was hard. Because the family did understand. It is hard, isn't it? If your family don't understand why you're following Jesus. Maybe think they think you're throwing your life away. So I heard about these two young Jewish guys who went to university and they became Christians. And they wanted to show their new faith by being baptized. And they told their families. And their families were utterly horrified. They put pressure on them week after week after week leading up to the baptism. It was a week to go. And one of the boys got a phone call from his dad. And his dad said this. Look, if you get baptized, it will kill your grandparents. It will devastate them. Don't do it. What would he do? Well, he counted the cost. He put Jesus first. 
but emotionally it was hard to cope with. Letting your grandparents down. I love my grandparents. I know two of friends who've given up careers in medicine and law. They, they were doing things that their parents longed for them to do. My son's a doctor. Wow. My son, he's a lawyer. And yet they gave that up to be ministers or missionaries. And their parents have said, all that money poured into you. And you're slapping us in the face. You've become a minister. That's hard to cope with. It's hard to cope with. But actually, they're taking Jesus' words seriously. That actually at times, at times, we have to disappoint our families to show our love for Jesus. So Jesus says to us, carry your cross. You see, what did the the cross of Jesus cost him? It cost him everything, didn't it? What should it cost us? Well, verse 26, it says, it should cost your life. It demands my life, my soul, my all. You see, maybe tonight this passage is making sense of why it feels hard at school or at home, or at university, to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, you come and follow me, it's going to involve carrying your cross. It's no easy choice. It's not the life of ease and sweetness and roses. It is tougher than a tough guy challenge. Have you heard of the tough guy challenge? Here's some pictures of the misery that people go through. My friend, my neighbor, he's not a Christian yet, but he's great fun. He did the tough guy challenge on the 31st of January 2012. Let me read this to you from a, a newspaper. Build as the toughest race in the world. The tough guy 2012 competition took place yesterday in Perton, England. That was the 31st of January this year. Every year, thousands of men and women tackle the course, which is described on the tough guy website as, listen to this, eight country miles filled with freezing mud, barbed wire, cuts, scrapes, burns, dehydration, hypothermia, acrophobia, claustrophobia, electric shocks, sprains, twists, joint dislocation and broken bones. 5,000 people signed up for it. I'd rather be a Christian, wouldn't you? 5,000 people signed up for this tough guy challenge. 600 races didn't even finish the course. Physically tough. Physically and mentally tough, but over in about five hours. Well, Jesus is calling people to follow him. Not for a few hours, but for their whole life. Come what may. Let me tell you, it is a huge blessing, a huge joy. What a joy to call God our Father. What a joy to know his forgiveness in our life. What a joy to have the hope of heaven before us. But Jesus says, it's going to be challenging. It's demanding. It's costly at times. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's why it's important, isn't it, when we share the gospel with people, when we teach our families or the youth group or our friends about Jesus, that we're utterly realistic as Jesus is with this huge crowd of people. Following Jesus is not like joining the Rotary Club or the Badminton Club. 
uh, it actually is demanding. It's just not just an easy social club to join. Can the cost with what comes with repentance and faith? Can the cost, Jesus says. And so that's why Jesus tells these two stories in our passage. The story of the building project, verse 28 to 30. And the king picking a fight in verse 31 to 33. You see, Barry, the wise builder, fancied a new extension. His neighbors had this beautiful and done glass at the back of the house, views across the garden. And he was dreaming of this ultimate extension. He's going to have a pool table at one side, a jacuzzi just over here, and just surround sound cinema experience in the corner. It was to die for. But Barry was a wise builder. He got out his calculator. He drew out the plans. He costed it all. And he thought to himself, don't start what you can't finish. What would the neighbors say? Don't do it. Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will you not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What's he doing? He's weighing it all up before he begins. Likewise, there's the king. King Alex of Scotland, let's call him. He had his eye on the next bit of land. He looked out, and there it was, England. He does his homework. It will involve a war against the king of England. And so he sends a reconnaissance mission in to suss out the land. In they go, spying away. They have the shock of their lives. The English army is double the size of the Scottish army. So he weighs it up. Can't win, he thinks. Can't start a war that you can't win. So he hears that the king of England is actually on his way. King of England, Cameron, leading his men, ready to take over Scotland. So he sends a delegation to make peace. The wise king weighs it up. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Can you see what Jesus is doing here? Two stories about two groups of people weighing it up before they begin it, counting the cost before they embark on a project. And Jesus says, verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's the third time we've heard that phrase, isn't it, in this passage. Jesus keeps banging it at home. Verse 26, if you don't give up your life, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, if you don't carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, if you do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. It doesn't mean that we don't live normal lives with work and food and home and leisure and family like everybody else. But it does mean we do it all with Jesus calling the shots. 
with Jesus and his ways, his words, his truth, his instructions, leading and shaping and guarding us day by day. Him first, him as Lord, even that will involve feelings of being different or possibilities of being ridiculed or rejected. It will involve sacrifices, saying no to things and saying yes to Jesus. And of course, wonderfully, it's by his strength, his power, his grace that he enables us to live this way for his glory. It's not about me mustering enough energy to do it, but depending on him and saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I want to live for you. I need you, Lord Jesus. Help me to live for you. And he promises us by his spirit, his grace is sufficient each day to live in this way. Jesus says, carry a cross. Follow me. So I wonder tonight, if there are people here who have not yet made that step, You've been part of the crowd here at Charlotte Chapel for years and years, and yet you've held back from bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and saying, you're the Lord, you're the Savior. I come to you. I'm scared, but I need your salvation. I need God's friendship. I need the hope of heaven. Lord, I need you because I know it's going to be tough. But I want to follow you for you are the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe tonight that's you. And finally, you need to say, Lord, I fought against it, but I want to follow you and trust you and give my life to you. Help me, Lord Jesus. And he will. He promises to do that if you come to him and trust him. It might be a great night to make that step. Step out from the crowd and say, I want to follow Jesus. Even though I know it's going to be costly, it's so worth it. Or maybe tonight, this word is a word of encouragement to us. Because we're finding it tough. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised you've entered a battle, haven't we? A battle to live for Christ, to honor Him. Let us press on. Let us keep going. For one day, the struggles with sin, the struggles with being different, the feelings of feeling rejected at times will be gone forever in the new heaven, new earth. I guess like Abraham this morning, we need to put our glasses on, don't we? And look forward to the reality that is to come. You see, real men might not like eating quiche, but I do. Real men might not wear pink, but I've got some great pink shirts. But actually, the one perfect God-man calls us tonight to count the cost and to follow him. Are we up for the challenge? We'll be renewed and encouraged tomorrow to be distinctive and different, to engage in the battle, and to keep following Jesus Christ. Do you know, I love these words. These words of that hymn written by Isaac Watts. I'm going to read them to you as I close. We're called to live the cross-shaped life, aren't we? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. 
Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Jesus says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Let me just pray.